Welcome to the Australian Defence Magazine podcast, featuring Brent Clark from the Australian Industry and Defence Network. Hello and welcome everyone to the next instalment of the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and once again I'm being joined by Catherine Ziesing, Managing Editor of Australian Defence Magazine. G'day Kath, how are you doing? Hey, well thanks Grant. That's great. And uh, today we're having the privilege of being joined by Brent Clark. He's the CEO of the Australian Industry and Defence Network. Brent, welcome to the show. Thanks Grant, lovely to be here. Now, uh, first of all, there may be one or two people out there in the world, shocking as this may be, who don't know what uh, Aiden is all about. So would you care to give us a bit of the history and what um, the AIDN does or doesn't do? Yeah, sure. Um, thanks for that. Look, yeah, uh, so Aiden's been around for about, uh, about 25 years. It was born in New South Wales, but it kind of went viral very quickly and went to all the states and territories. What Aiden's primary purpose specifically is is to look after the small to medium enterprise community, the the, the little men and women who are who are basically doing uh, the darndest to survive in a very competitive and difficult environment. Uh, so we we try to represent them. Uh, we we stick up for them. We advocate for them. We deal with the government. We deal with defence, and we deal with the prime contractors on their behalf. So I think that's it in a nutshell. And uh, so sort of doing the advocacy, representation and member services kind of thing that um, small companies just typically don't have the budget to do themselves. Uh, 100%. It's, it's very difficult. I mean, you can imagine if you're making, I don't know, uh, electronic boxes up in, up in Townsville, uh, the concept of actually dealing with a prime contractor down south, the government and, and defence in Canberra can be, uh, can be pretty daunting. So, uh, so we're there to provide that service. So, Brent, I, I was just kind of wondering, um, because Aiden has a few different state chapters and now the national board, how, how does everything fit together now? I guess a snapshot of history is that when, when Aiden first sort of set itself up and it went to the state and chapter sort of arrangement, so every state and territory had an Aiden uh, facility, the Aiden National Board effectively just provided governance over all the states and territories. What was recognised a few months ago is that there was a requirement to have a national voice. So the states and territories now feed in and provide advice to Aiden National. So for want of a better description, that, that that's me. Um, the membership base is in the process of transferring to Aiden National. So when you join Aiden in the future, you join the national authority, not the states and territories. But it's very important to, to understand that the states and territories have a very important role because they're on the ground. Um, but what they do do is they'll tell me issues that their their people are experiencing, and then of course that may be the same issue in WA, the Northern Territory, Queensland, etc. And then then from that we can formulate a, a really a national opinion. So I guess how do you kind of balance those state agendas with a national voice? <laughs> That's a very good question. Yes, the states are always nationally focused. Um, the reality is that Aiden National's purpose is to ensure that work is done in Australia and that the Australian SME community gets the work. From a state or territory perspective, they can't get work unless Aiden National is there advocating for it to be done in Australia in the first place. After that, it becomes really a horse trading exercise, and we all know how that works. You know, Aiden Queensland 
will obviously lobby the Queensland government, and the Queensland government will obviously try and lobby the federal government for work to be done in the state. But our primary purpose remains ensuring that the work is done in Australia in the first place. So that pretty much covering it, because I, I remember when I was working with a defence contractor, uh, we were going to aid in Victorian meetings and so on. And uh, yeah, I'd heard about the national and was wondering, oh, okay, this is so this is changing things a little. And noticed that New South Wales um, is now migrating all their staff, or sorry, all their members to the national. So is that happening around all the states at the same time or are they? Yes. Yep. So all states and territories uh, came on the journey. They were, as you would expect, some of the states and territories were a little concerned about whether or not they were giving up more than they were gaining. But ultimately, uh, ultimately becomes an, it's a national agenda. So now when Aidan talks to the Minister of Defence or the Minister for Defence Industry or, in fact, anybody in the government, um, they're hearing one national voice. They're not getting the opinions of you know five different states and two different territories. So how many companies or people does Aiden National now represent? Several hundred. In fact, we would be the largest defence association. Um, so our membership base is, is in towards that 800. And in those members, we have something like about 40,000 individual employees. So you can understand the need to have a national voice because because effectively the collective is better than the federated, if that makes sense. So I note that uh, Aiden has some sponsors, um, various organisations. It's not just membership dues. Is that correct? Correct, correct. So um, so we'll obviously seek sponsorship where we can. Um, now, obviously, we're a member-based organisation, so you know, a lot of our primary income comes from the members. But uh, events like Aiden National Dinner uh, or, or the state dinners, uh, the states and national will seek sponsorship for those things. Now, traditionally, just so that we can get it out on the table quickly, traditionally the people that will sponsor that are um, uh, what we would consider to be the, the prime contractors. Uh, that's entirely appropriate. Uh, we, we see that as the prime contractors supporting the SME community, and given the prime contractors are all about supporting the SME community, um, we're, we're happy for that to happen. <laughs> Excellent. So if uh, someone out there listening to this is a um uh, owns or runs as a part of a, what is technically called a small medium enterprise in the defence world, and they're interested in getting involved. What uh, what steps should they follow, and and what can they expect to uh, see happening once they're part of Aiden? Oh, well, the steps are pretty easy. Uh, really, you just contact um, you contact Aiden, and um, there's an application process that you go through. It, it's it's all online. It's it's not complex. Uh, what should they expect? That's probably the bigger issue. Um, what they'll expect is unwavering, without any fear or favour uh, commentary from myself. Um, I've been doing this for a long time now, as as Kath knows. I'm getting old, but uh, having having done it for a long time, having worked in a number of prime contractors and for SMEs, having been involved in this Australian industrial landscape for quite a while, um, it gives me the ability to to really understand what's going on. So Aiden, Aiden has an obligation to to lobby very strongly on behalf of its members. It also has a mutual obligation to ensure that its members understand the constraints that are happening at the government level, at the defence level, and within the prime contractors. So we would prefer to be able to assist all of the all of the stakeholders to come together quietly. However, if that's not possible or we see banned behaviour and, and, and people aren't prepared to correct their bad behaviour, then we'll call it. 
I have no fear about being quoted or, or, or talking to media, talking to journalists or anything. Um, we'll praise where praise is due and we'll criticise strongly where, where criticism is due. So so what the members should expect is is an advocate that won't back down. I guess, Brent, the other issue which came up earlier this year with your appointment is that you were also heading up Industry Voice, um, another industry organisation that focused on Australian-owned and operated um, SMEs rather than, I guess, offshoots of international primes. And that role has been rolled into the current role. Is, is that correct? How do you balance the hat? Yeah, so what we've done there, Kath, um, and, you, and you're spot on. So Industry Voice really was made up of a, a group of companies that had become quite uh, disenchanted with with really what was happening in the defence advocacy space. And that's not just a criticism of Aiden. There was the other uh, defence advocacy com- um, people that, that really weren't seen by those particular members as addressing their need. What we've done from an Aiden perspective is we've, we've brought Industry Voice in as, a, as an entity underneath Aiden National. And once Aiden National is in the position where it actually starts to, to own the membership base, i.e. members are transferred into Aiden National, those member companies will come on board. So I don't, I don't have a conflict there. Uh, it is just part of part of Aiden. And yes, I am still the CEO of Industry Voice and the CEO of Aiden, but uh, essentially that, that they're one and the same now. So what, now that you have a voice, what do you want to do with it? What's the plan for the next six months? Uh, the plan for the next six months is very simple. Right now, as, as we, all, we all know and all your listeners know, we're going through some of the largest defence acquisitions since the Second World War. And what we are about is ensuring that Australian companies can compare, compete in a fair and equitable way. So we are going to ensure that that happens. So we, we will hold the prime contractors and defence in particular to account. The government has made its, uh, you know, stated its opinion quite, quite clearly. I think Melissa Price, as the minister, has, has advocated quite strongly what the government wants. So what we're calling for is for defence to follow the government's policy, which is good enough. And therefore, they will should be enforcing that policy with the defence primes. What we don't want to see is defence primes hiding behind incumbent supply chains from overseas. We don't want to see defence primes coming up with excuses as to not using Australian companies. We will work with the defence primes, and we expect the defence primes to work with Australian industry to ensure that they can can, can compete and get this work. There's got to be a benefit for Australia, the Australian taxpayer, and let's remember. One fundamentally important thing here is the hundreds of billions of dollars worth of defence equipment is being procured at the, I guess, luxury of the Australian taxpayer. It is the Australian taxpayer who's writing the cheque. Government understands that. Defence needs to realise that that's where the money's coming from. And the Australian taxpayer, quite rightfully, expects there to be a dividend for the country and not an overseas country. So you've mentioned there, uh, we've got the government, we've got uh, some government policy uh, going on. So what can primes and SMEs do to better optimise the relationship that they have? If you're an SME, you've got this massive prime, the 400-pound gorilla, as they say. But if you're the prime, you've got all these tiny little SMEs, you just don't get defence or don't get business and structures and things in their view. So how do you help? What would you see as, as optimising that relationship between SMEs and primes. Look, I, and I think that look, that's a great question, Grant. Um, I think our role needs to be the facilitator of that exchange. It's not possible for the prime contractor necessarily to deal with a thousand suppliers, right? It's just it becomes cumbersome and difficult. 
and everyone's shouting. Uh, everyone shouts, look at me, okay? Um, what we can do is is work with the prime contractors to work with the SME community. So, so there's a bunch of education that the SME community needs to understand. They need to understand that they have to have a some sort of quality system. They need to understand that potentially they may need to have some sort of security system. As we're all aware, last week the Prime Minister announced a, a, a massive cyber attack. Um, yeah, we're not going to comment on on who who might be, have been behind that, but the reality is that that occurred. The prime contractors and government tend to have very robust systems, so it's 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 difficult to hack into those. But the the smaller guys and girls tend to maybe not have such robust systems. So we need to be able to explain to them and and Aiden with uh, the Australian Industry Group are are part of a committee looking at how we pass on uh, cyber precautions and security and policies and procedures. So we're working in that aim. Um, We can assist the prime contractors in breaking down barriers. So it it, it can be difficult. I think you use the term 400-pound gorilla. Um, It's daunting for a a company of 10 people to try and deal into that space. There are a myriad of questions they have to answer and a whole bunch of information they usually have to supply before they can get pre-qualified. It's it's not an impossible task. And if you're actually dealing with an organisation, and I think Aiden um, is that organisation, we can assist in that frame. So we have that mutual obligation, as I said before. You can't just sit in... Tasmania and shout at the wind, saying that you're not getting work. Um, I'm not picking on Tasmanians. Um, I could say that about any state and territory. Uh, you actually need to do something. You know, I've had I've had companies since I've been in this role complain about not getting work or or, or being ignored by one or two of the primes. And I've asked a very simple question: Are you registered uh, with those primes? And and um, one or two occasions, it's been no. Uh, so my my comment has been well. How do you think the prime's going to find you? Use the force, or uh, I mean, I don't, how do you find somebody, right? If you're not registered, so so we have that obligation to make sure that the SME community is educated, and we've got to help them, and we've got to help them in dealing with the primes. And I guess having worked for three of the largest defence primes in this country, I think I'm well versed to be able to help them break down those barriers. So I guess Brent, in in that education campaign, is Aiden providing tools on on dealing with the CDIC or getting DISP accreditation? Um, are, are there facilities there, or do you just point people towards services? Well, obviously we can point people towards services. Um, however, our obligation is greater than that, Kath. So so we're here to help where we can um, to provide that service. So as as an example, DISP accreditation. It's not rocket science. Um, there's a, there, there are a bunch of a bunch of policies and procedures that are in place for people to to do that. We can direct them to that. We can help them with that. We can talk them through that. As you as you would understand, I've done that on a variety of times. So so dealing in that space is not not a big issue. It can be daunting because it sounds daunting, but at the end of the day, it's not really that difficult to get into there. There's a bunch of criteria you have to meet, but you know that that usually means that you have to put some effort in. So we'll work with them. We'll we'll give them advice. I think we can give very good advice. We can certainly help them with how the prime contracting community thinks, why they operate a certain way, and some of the issues that the prime contractors have. Equally, as I've said before, we can also explain to the prime contractors the barriers for entries that they're either deliberately or inadvertently 
putting in the way of the small to medium enterprise community. Yeah, because if you're not used to dealing with defence procedures, processes, if you've never done your DISP membership and, and worked in, in the security accreditation areas and things like that, it is, as you said, daunting. Uh, whereas yourselves, you've done it all before. Uh, you've been, you know, ridden that horse over the jump a couple of times. So you're actually able to help out and guide by sh- showing this is what you need to consider. And you're, you're right, it is, a, it is a big hurdle. There's a lot of paperwork. I know um, just the project management side alone can be quite daunting. Uh, so, yeah, all assistance gratefully appreciated on the SME side. And I could imagine that uh, getting the, uh, the, the primes to recognize and try and remember what it was like to work in a small company because I know some people in the primes have never worked in a small, shall we say, dynamic environment of less than 20 people. Oh, no, no, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it, it, it is chalk and cheese. Um, but you need prime contractors. Prime contractors will deliver the ship, the submarine, the, the aircraft. But the prime contractor has the obligation to ensure that it brings in underneath it the Tier 2, Tier 3, Tier 4 suppliers, and, the, and those suppliers are looked after. A prime contractor doesn't do everything, and we need to remember that. We also need to remember there are things that the prime contractor does do and therefore, it's not unreasonable that they do it um, when they get a when they get a contract. However, by and large, if you look at the supply chains of most of the primes, they have you know a couple of thousand companies in there, and and they are they are attempting, in the vast majority of cases, to to be reasonable. Where we see some issues currently is uh, there is a lot of constraints in terms of cost and schedule that have been imposed by government on defence, and therefore it becomes very easy for a prime contractor to turn around to defence and say, listen, uh, we've been working with this supply chain for 50 years now. We know the quality. We know the schedule. We know the cost. um, Therefore, there'll be no risk to your program. Now, we think that that's a simplistic approach and that the government expects a dividend on the expenditure of the Australian taxpayers' money and quite frankly, the government has called for a, a sovereign uh, Australian capability. So, yeah, we, we actually have to put some effort in here, guys, because if we don't, we won't deliver what the government thinks it's asked for. And I think I think that's important. It is a very topical subject at the moment, the whole AIC, the sovereign Australian industry capability. And it, it's not just for the purchase of the assets. It's also into sustainment because some of these are going to be around for a very long time, these assets, and the cost of sustainment is quite significant. So having a local industry to do it, wonderful thing. Well, look, you need a local industry. It's as simple as that. If you, if you don't have a local industry, uh, then, then you won't be able to achieve your stated outcomes. If you look at the future submarine as an example, if my maths is correct, uh, the last submarine gets uh, decommissioned in about 2089. Um, I mean, conceptually, you know, my, my daughter is is turns 10 in 2021. So again, if I do my maths there, um, she will be a fairly old woman and and probably have several grandchildren, great grandchildren now. And I look at the nine and a half year old and think, there you go. So in 80 years, 80 years, she'll be, you know, she'll be about 88 or 89 when this last submarine's decommissioned. Um, this is the thing you've got to get around, your, we've got to get around our head. The sustainment costs Depends on depends on which sort of rule of thumb you want to use, but effectively, sustainment costs tend to be about sixty percent more um, than your acquisition cost. 
So this is these are huge numbers. This is why you're seeing, you know, Admiral, I'm sorry, Greg Samet, you know, talking about a quarter of a trillion dollars worth of expenditure for the submarine project over the life of the over the life of the platform. They're big, scary numbers. And those numbers get really bad if you're trying to do all that work with overseas companies. Do you think, though, that people have lost sight of the scale of a lot of defence work, though? Oh, totally. They're just numbers, Kath. I mean, when, when, when you say $250 billion, it doesn't really mean a lot, right? But if you if you try and say if we – I know there's a bit of debate around the submarine at the moment as to – whether it's 50 billion or it's 80 billion or whatever it is, I, I, I'm not really fussed. I don't really care. It's, it's, it's a big number, right? If we pick the, the 50 billion figure, I, mean, I think for memory, the Royal Adelaide Hospital cost about $1.9 billion, all right? So the future submarine program in today's dollars of 50 billion is worth about 25 Royal Adelaide Hospitals. Now, if we're going to spend that kind of much money, we better get a return on our investment because 25 hospitals of that scale would really benefit the Australian community. Now, I personally think that the defence equipment that we're buying is, is, is vitally important. We need to be able to defend and look after the security of the country. But if you're the plumber in Blacktown, you better do a damn good job of selling the story because he or she is the person that's giving up you know, 45% of their income to the government to do this. As those nice graphs every time we do our tax return show us. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I don't look at those. They scare me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just look at them and go, well, I've got – my parents are retired and in a care facility. Great. That's that contributing to them. Uh, oh, yeah, I've got a friend who works with FedGov. Good. I'm helping pay. <laughs> yeah, it's the only way you can look at it and not cry. <laughs> I, look, I think so. And I, I look – I think Australian industry is trying to be very reasonable here. Um, nobody is asking for sole source contracts. Now, of course, if you came to me and said, hey, Brent, I'm going to give you a sole source contract, I would take it. What they want to be able to do is compete. They understand the need for competition. They need they have to be need they need to know and they do know that they have to be able to compete in an international environment. Most Australian companies are internationally competitive. But if you're a, and, and, and I'll use this as an example because it's easy. Uh, but if, if I come to you and say, I need a quote for nine boxes because I'm going to build nine platforms, you'll give me a number, right? And it'll be based on, 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 on how you can sort of deliver that. If I then ask an overseas supplier to give me a number based on 26 boxes, of which nine will be sold to Australia, the number will be different, right? And we would see that as being unfair. That's an unfair advantage that the, the overseas company may be giving to an overseas supplier. So our argument would be, why wouldn't you ask the Australian company to, to give you a quote for 26 boxes, right? Because everyone, you know, all the big primes are talking about the global supply chain and getting Australian companies into their global supply chain and, and wanting to, to progress them. Well, if that's the case, if you're going to use them to supply into Australia, why wouldn't you consider them for overseas? Just saying, maybe the primes that listen to this might have a different opinion. <laughs> well, we're seeing it with F-35 pretty well with Morant um, and so on, everyone building components, Correct. not just for our aircraft, but for everyone's. Correct. It, it, it really is grossly unfair. It, it really is. If, if, you, if, if you ask somebody to only quote for the number of Australian platforms, but you're asking an overseas supplier to quote for the total supply chain, it, that you will always get different numbers. And and then you then you turn around and say the Australian companies aren't 
um, competitive, and I think that is grossly unfair. So, Kath, to wind up the episode, is there uh, anything else you'd like to say on the topic? No, I think it's really great that um, Aiden has moved back to a more consolidated national voice. I think that's going to be a really important uh, step for the organisation. So it's wonderful to hear your insights, Brent, and um, that you are aiming to be a strong advocating voice for the entire SME community at a national level. Thanks, Kath. Any final words on the topic while we've got you here, Brent? Oh, look, I'm good. Um, Obviously, you'll hear a lot from me, which will annoy everybody, but that's what I'm here for. (laughs) Excellent. Well, Kath and Brent, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Very much appreciated. Cheers. See you both. The ADM podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Australian Defence Magazine, a Yeffa media title. The views of the people appearing on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Australian Defence Magazine, the Department of Defence, or the guest's employer. If you wish to use any of the audio in this podcast, please contact Australian Defence Magazine via their website, australiandefence.com.au, or via email at defmag at yaffa.com.au. Thank you.